All right, let's talk about some MS health style stuff. MS health talk. Let's talk about some good things you can do in the morning to help you lose weight. You can studies show that a high protein breakfast may aid weight loss by reducing cravings, appetite, and ghrelin secretion. Ghrelin is basically the hunger hormone that is responsible for increasing appetite. So I guess it's good to shut that thing up. Increasing your water intake has been associated with an increase in weight loss and energy expenditure, as well as a decrease in appetite and food intake. That's positive, a plus. Studies have found that daily self-weighing may be associated with more weight loss and increased restraint, which I can see it pushing you harder, but I can see it also pissing you off. You can go a week without losing anything or gaining anything, and that can just be frustrating hopping on that scale every day to see no, no movement. Sun exposure may have an influence on weight. Sunlight can also help you meet your vitamin D needs, which may help increase weight loss and prevent weight gain. Some studies have found that mindfulness can increase weight loss and promote healthy eating behaviors. It's basically pretty easy to practice mindfulness. Just uh, try spending five minutes each morning sitting comfortably in a calm space and connecting with your senses. And you can sit, stand, lay, whatever you have to do. Some studies have found that exercising in the morning may be associated with increased satiety, basically hunger, (laughs) and improved blood sugar control. Uh, can't we just simplify the words for us dumbasses <laughs> people without teeth that can't say things. Uh, studies show that meal planning and eating home cooked meals are associated with improved diet quality and a lower risk of obesity Uh, Studies show that sleep deprivation may increase appetite and cravings as well as calorie intake. I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but I decided to take a, as my spasticity issues are off the chart right now, and I got to jump in and out of the bed a lot at night to try and deal with issues. And it's a pain in the ass to try and rip off that headgear and shit from the CPAP. So I shut my CPAP down for a week and I'm going to, and I'm cleaning it out, and then I'm going to let my wife try it because she's the one that actually has sleep apnea, in my opinion, because she'll stop breathing for long periods in the night, and then all of a sudden just huge gasp for air, whereas I usually lay there comfortable and quiet in one position almost all night long, except for once or twice. I'll turn over just to give some relief on my right knee and shoulder and stuff, but... uh. I don't see myself having the issues that she has when she sleeps. So we will have to see how that affects it. And oh, great. My battery just died on my mouse. All right. I can 
work with this though. Uh, walking, biking, and using public transportation have all been associated with less weight gain and lower body weight and body fat has been associated with less weight gain. Oh yeah. Okay. Duh. <laughs> Thing of weight loss. Never mind. Uh, things aren't making sense in my itty bitty brain today. Uh, and lower body weight and body fat compared to driving to work. Oh yeah. That's common sense. You got to walk a ways to get to places. Studies have found that using a food diary to track your intake can help increase weight loss. Basically making a few small changes to your morning habits can be easy and effective way to increase weight loss. Practicing healthy behaviors in the morning can also get your day started on the right foot and set you up for success. For best results, make sure you combine these morning habits with a well-rounded diet and healthy lifestyle. So... Try that out if you're on the weight loss kick and see if any of those things help you out. And we'll get back with more health information in the future. Time for another MS health segment. And this one we're going to talk about some vitamins and supplements that might help you boost your energy a little bit. Ashwagandha is thought to reduce mental and physical fatigue, thereby increasing energy levels. So that could possibly help with our cognitive issues also. Rhodiola is thought to increase R-H-O-D-I-O-L-A is thought to Increase your body's capacity to adapt to stress by eating, easing physical and mental fatigue, which I obviously have right now, and cognitive fatigue. <laughs> it may also help alleviate fatigue in people with depression. Many people with MS have depression. Uh, vitamin B12 plays an important role in energy production, aging, eliminating animal products from your diet and diseases affecting the GI tract can all contribute to low levels of B12 and result in fatigue and weak weaknesses. So, red blood cells require iron to transport oxygen to your body's tissues. Without iron, oxygen delivery to the entire body is limited which may result in extreme fatigue, a diet low in iron, excessive blood loss, and pregnancy can increase iron needs. So that's something definitely to take into consideration. I haven't really played with any iron stuff yet in my uh, routine. Melatonin is an important hormone that plays a role in sleep. Supplementing with melatonin may be an effective way to alleviate insomnia, resulting in improved alertness and decreased fatigue. I've noticed anytime I've taken mel- melatonin, no matter what is one milligram to 10, whatever, 20, I never noticed any type of weird fatigue the next morning or anything like that from it or weird feelings. So it is a nice, clean 
clean medicine to wake up to. Uh, COQ10, CoQ10 is a nutrient that your body's cells require to produce energy. Aging, certain diseases, and strain or statin treatment are associated with low levels of CoQ10, which may increase feelings of fatigue. CoQ10 supplements may help correct this. And then supplementing with creatine increases your body's energy stores. This increased energy allows you to train harder and longer. The L-citrulline product produces nitric oxide in your body, which dilates, uh, dilates, dilates blood vessels, allowing increased nutrient and oxygen delivery to your body's cells. This can help decrease fatigue and plays a role in energy production. I'm not sure. Comes the name comes from Citrullus vulgaris, the Latin word for watermelon, from which it was first isolated. Huh. Okay, let's try that too. Then we got beetroot. You can get beetroot powder and stuff. Beetroot contains a compound called nitrate, which re- relaxes your blood vessels. When used as a supplement, beetroot can increase oxygen delivery throughout your body, allowing you to exercise longer. Supplementing with tyrosine, T-Y-R-O-S-I-N-E, may help restore levels of neurotransmitters in your body, thereby helping improve mental cognition and energy levels. Hmm. Interesting. Then combining caffeine with L-theanine is an effective way to improve your energy levels while reducing the negative side effects and jitters. And L-theanine is tolerated well. It's recommended to limit your coffee intake to less than 400 milligrams per day. This is equivalent to three to five cups of coffee, which should be plenty. I don't know. Just don't fill it full of all that creamy crap. Life can take a toll on your energy levels. Fortunately, there are many things you can do to maintain your energy, including consuming a balanced diet, getting enough sleep, and exercising regularly. However, for many people, these things are not possible all of the time. When this is the case, there are many supplements and vitamins that may help boost your energy when you need it most. Some work better for increasing energy during exercise, while others may be best when you need a quick pick-me-up. Furthermore, all of the supplements that I just talked about have a well-established safety profile when used appropriately. Nevertheless, remember to check with your doctor and tell them what you've taken so they know if you're counter-affecting anything else that you're taking and stuff like that. Alright, that's it for this segment, and we'll get you back with more health segments in the future. Time for another 
MS health segment to talk about some lower back stretches you can do to reduce pain and build strength. Uh, I know I, I deal with sciatica issues as many do with MS, so it's good to have some type of continued back flexibility. So look into things like child child's pose. Basically, to how to, you can do this one is with your hands and knees on the ground, sink back through your hips to rest them on your heels, hinge at your hips as you fold forward, walking your hands out in front of you, rest your belly on your thighs, extend your arms in front of or alongside your body with your palms facing up. Focus on breathing deeply and relaxing any areas of tension or tightness. And hold this pose for up to one minute. Basically, you're sitting back on your knees and then coming upward and just working those joints. Uh, You can modify it by placing a rolled up towel on top of or underneath your thighs. It's more comfortable. If it's more comfortable, you can widen your knees and rest your forehead on a cushion. And sometimes you got to do little adaptabilities the first week or two to get your body flexed up enough that you don't deal with a lot of pain when you're trying to do movements. A knee to chest stretch can be done by lying on your back with both knees bent and your feet flat on the floor. Keep your left knee bent or extend it straight out along the floor. Draw the right knee into your chest, clasping your hands behind your thigh or at the top of your shin bone, depending on how flexible you are, or just like me, grab hold of your pant leg and pull it towards you until you can get your body flexible enough to do to grab it from behind the leg and stuff like that. Lengthen your spine all the way down to your tailbone and avoid lifting your hips. Breathe deeply, releasing any tension. Hold this pose for 30 seconds to a minute and then repeat it with your other leg. Basically laying on your back and pulling your knee towards your chest. Your other leg bent or flat or however it's more comfortable for you. You can place a cushion under your head for extra padding. You can also wrap a towel around your leg if it's hard for your arms to reach it. That's always a great way to have a way to pull pull it. Like I said, I usually when I'm starting out these things and getting myself more flexible again, I just grab hold of like my pant leg, but if you're wearing shorts or something, or like some people like do work out naked, <laughs> and you can sit there and grab yourself a towel so you can get that behind your leg and pull it towards you. To deepen the stretch, tuck your chin into your chest and lift your head up towards your knee. Then a stretch I've never heard of, but I know it, but they call it the piriformis stretch. You lie on your back with both knees bent and your feet flat on the floor. Place your right ankle at the base of your left thigh. 
Then place your hands behind your left thigh and pull up towards your chest until you feel a stretch. Hold this position for 30 seconds to a minute. Then do the opposite leg. Oh, yeah, our telemarketing friends are back. <laughs> Let that one go to the machine. I don't feel like dealing with them today. Uh, I think I said this. Hold this position for 30 seconds to a minute, then do the opposite side. Basically, what you're doing is putting your one leg across your other and pulling your basically your whole leg assembly towards you if you're allowed able to and again to make it more comfortable keep your bottom foot planted on the floor rest your head on a cushion for support and use that towel idea if you need to be with this one it's a little bit harder to reach and stuff so that'd probably be a good thing to start out with uh let's see we got a seated spinal twist to do a seated spinal twist Sit on the floor with both legs extended out in front of you. Bend your left knee and place your foot on the outside of your right thigh. Place your right arm on the outside of your left thigh. Place your left hand behind you for support. Starting at the base of your spine, twist to the left side. Hold this pose for one minute and then repeat on the other side. Almost feel like I'm playing a game of Twister here. <laughs> Basically, you're sitting on your on the floor with one leg out, your knee bent over your your other leg, and your arm out in front of you, and one behind you for support. And you're just twisting your body to make it more comfortable. You can keep your bottom leg straight for an extra stretch. You can add in neck rotations during this pose. By inhaling to look forward and exhaling to turn your gaze backward. Do five to ten reps on each side. Then we got the pelvic tilt. Let's see what is it? Let's all get together for the pelvic thrust. Pelvic tilt. <laughs> or uh, the nightmare of my life. <laughs> Can't ever get those sayings out of my head. I've heard them too many times. <laughs> I cannot say the word damn it in my freaking house without my wife instantly saying Janet. <laughs> no matter how frustrated I am. <laughs> okay, the pelvic tilt. How do we do this one? We lie on our back, both knees bent and feet flat on the floor. Engage your abdom, ed, abdominal. <laughs> ab, abdominal. Abdominal muscles as you flatten your back against the floor. Breathe normally, holding this position for up to 10 seconds. Relax, take a few deep breaths to relax. Do one to three sets of three to five repetitions, or whatever works for you. Basically, you're laying on your back, knees bent, hands and arms bent, crossed behind your head. And you're basically thrusting upward, working the sex muscles there, working the hips. And then we got the cat-cow stretch. Oh, cats are way more flexible than cows. <laughs> if you want to do this one, come on to all fours in a tabletop position. 
hands and knees on the ground. Press into your hands and feet as you inhale to look up, allowing your belly to fill with air. Exhale, tucking your chin into your chest and arching your spine towards the ceiling. Continue this pattern of movement, moving with each breath. Do this for one to two minutes. Basically on all fours and you're moving your stomach and shoulders, everything up and down with your head going along, basically counter of it. And your head's basically constantly moving as you're working your stomach up and down with your breath. If you have wrist concerns, place your hands slightly forward instead of directly under your shoulders. If you have any knee concerns, place your place a cushion under them for padding and support. It's like we got a couple yoga mats and we stack them sometimes. Still hurts on those damn knees sometimes. <laughs> And then for deeper holds, simply remain in each position for 5 to 20 seconds at a time instead of moving with each breath. Then we got the Sphinx stretch, which from what I know, a Sphinx doesn't move. But lie on your stomach with your elbows underneath your shoulders and your hands extended in front, palms facing down. Set your feet slightly apart. It's okay for your big toes to touch. No, no matter how gnarly they are. <laughs> Gently engage your lower back, buttocks, and thighs as you lift your head and chest. Stay strong in your lower back and abdom abdominals. That word just messes with me every time. And breathing deeply. Press your pelvis to the floor. Gaze straight ahead. Or gently close your eyes and hold this pose for 30 seconds to a minute. Basically lay flat on your stomach and then put your hands flat on the floor. And raise your upper body up and down as you breathe. To use your lower back for a lot of things, or you use your lower back for a lot of things, from walking and running to simply getting out of bed in the morning. So keep it in good working order with regular stretching to relieve tension and to help build strength. The, try those out. See if they help. Those are, a lot of those are things you will find related with yoga moves. So you can also just jump in and do DDP yoga, which someday he's going to start sponsoring my ass because I said his name so many damn times, but get out there and try DDP out. He's got tons of different platforms, even live platforms. You can jump in with live classes all day long with the app. So see if those help, any of those poses, and we'll get back with more health stuff in the future to beat the shit out of the monster. Okay. Getting some more MS health segments here. And today we're going to talk about alcohol. Talked about how minor amounts of alcohol can be beneficial to you. And if as long as you don't overdo it, 
but some people, alcohol can take a toll on you and take over your life. And you may want to try to wean yourself off it or mellow yourself out a bit. And if you want to do that, and if you want to try and quit drinking, if you're thinking about cutting alcohol out of your life, some suggestions are start off by lowering your intake gradually. Easing into the journey makes for a higher chance of achieving success success in the long term. And you can also probably use this aspect along with uh, smoking and cigarettes and alcohol kind of go hand in hand with a lot of people. And it's probably not good to quit two things at once, but trying to quit one of those while still doing the other may actually trigger you wanting to do both. So take that into consideration too. I'm not a doctor, so check with a doctor if you're going to quit anything or change anything with your lifestyle and stuff, and that may affect you health-wise. Let the people you love know about your plan to quit drinking. Having a support system is key. Stay away from triggers. It's crucial to blocking your desire to grab a drink after a stressful situation or a cigarette, or (laughs) sex. Uh, Learn what or who you should avoid for your sobriety's best interest. Uh, Take a trip by yourself. Uh, Shifting your focus for better physical, mental, and spiritual health is a good thing. So a little solo travel could help you feel free from distractions, which is important in the process. Unless you go to like an island (laughs) and you're on those little tiki drinks and everything and all those temptations, that might not be too good. You might want to take a little wandering trip in a more quiet atmosphere. Uh, Drink plenty of water. It's... In the beginning, it's difficult resisting the urge to sip on a cocktail. So, around people and at dinner time and stuff. So, you might want to just guzzle down a glass of water instead. It's good for you all around. But basically, there's some suggestions. But looking more into alcohol, it's not not a complete devil. Uh, ethanol, the active ingredient in alcoholic drinks, is generally referred to as alcohol. It can have powerful effects on your mental state. Alcohol is metabolized by the liver, and frequent intake can lead to increased fat inside liver cells. Alcohol abuse can lead to cirrhosis, a very serious condition, and it's irreversible and associated with many serious health problems. And liver transplant may be your only option if you go that far and have issues that bad. While alcohol intoxication is only temporary, chronic alcohol abuse can impair the brain function permanently. However, moderate drinking may have benefits for brain health, especially among older adults. 
which we talked about in the past. But that's moderate drinking. Don't that doesn't mean guzzling down all all night every night. Alcohol abuse and depression are linked. People may start abusing alcohol due to depression or become depressed by abusing alcohol. So take that into consideration. The evidence on alcohol and weight gain is mixed. Heavy drinking and beer are linked to increased weight gain, while moderate drinking and wine are linked to reduced weight gain or even weight loss. So watch what you're drinking and take that into consideration also. Remember, boys and girls, tequila is made by guava. The guava plant is a healthy sugar, whereas all the other alcohols are made bad sugars. And then all the shit you add to them, sodas and juices and stuff like that. Moderate alcohol consumption may reduce your risk of heart disease. Heavy drinking may increase it. Moderate alcohol consumption may reduce symptoms of type 2 diabetes by enhancing the uptake of blood sugar by your cells. Drinking alcohol may increase your risk of certain cancers, especially mouth and throat cancer. Alcohol abuse is one of the world's most common causes of birth defects. The fetus is particularly vulnerable in early in pregnancy. You're going to get pregnant. Don't be stupid enough to drink too. Fucking idiot. Smoking and drinking while you're pregnant. Even after you have the kid, you smoking around them. If you're a jackass, you shouldn't be drinking around. <laughs> Moderate alcohol consumption may increase life expectancy. While alcohol abuse is a strong risk factor for premature death. Alcohol consumption can lead to alcohol dependence or alcoholism in, the, in predisposed individuals. Chronic alcohol abuse can wreak havoc on your body and brain, increasing your risk of many diseases. Red wine may be one of the healthiest alcoholic beverages, probably due to its high concentration of antioxidants. And then moderate drinking is defined as one standard drink per day for women and two for men. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh See, women just can't win out, can you? <laughs> At the end of the day, the effects of alcohol range from a positive impact on your well-being to a health catastrophe. Drinking small amounts, especially of red wine, is linked to various health benefits. On the other hand, alcohol abuse and alcohol addiction are linked to severe negative effects on both physical and mental health. If you enjoy alcohol and don't binge, there's no compelling reason to avoid it. Just keep in mind that your cancer risk may increase, regardless of how much you are drinking. However, if you tend to drink excessively or notice that alcohol causes problems in your life, you should avoid it as much as possible. 
And because alcohol impact depends entirely on the individual, it's good for some and disastrous for others. So don't look at someone else and compare yourself to them. Everybody's different. Alcohol is a depressant that has a short lifespan in the body. Once alcohol has entered your bloodstream, your body will begin to metabolize it at a rate of 20 milligrams per deciliter per hour. That means that if your blood alcohol level were 40 milligrams per DL, it could it would take about two hours to metabolize the alcohol. It's like a small shot of liquor takes about an hour to metabolize. A pint of beer takes about two hours. A large glass of wine is three hours. A few drinks, several hours. So there's certain steps you can take to help reduce the effects of alcohol. Like food may help your body absorb alcohol. Water can help reduce your BAC, though blood alcohol content though it will still take one hour to metabolize 20 milligrams of alcohol. Avoid caffeine. It's a myth that caffeine, energy drinks, or any similar beverages alleviate intoxication quicker. So those are things to take into consideration too. But (laughs) no matter what, you're not going to, Beat the breathalyzer and stuff if you're out partying. You're not going to, it's going to take quite a few hours to get the shit out of your system. So be good to yourself. Don't overdo it. And we'll get back to you soon. All right. Time for another. MS Health segment. Let's talk about meditation. For many people, the word meditation calls up images of alternative lifestyles or non-Western tradition. You know, those damn hippies. Hippie dip. However, public perception of meditation has started to shift in recent years due to the scientific community's growing interest in the topic. There's still no conclusive proof that meditation makes a measurable biochemical change in the body or the mind, but some psychologists have proposed that this form of relaxation may help people with multiple sclerosis, MS, reach a calmer state of mind, and this could help reduce the impact of stress. Uh, Common meditation techniques include thinking breath, a practice of focusing exclusively on your breath. Feel the cold air rushing in through your nostrils as you inhale and the warm air brushing against your upper lip as you exhale. Don't be discouraged if other thoughts enter your mind. View them the same way you view scenery from the passenger seat of a moving car. Just let them vanish in the distance. Turn your thoughts again again to your breath, keeping track of every detail as you breathe in and out and feel the tension slip away. There's visualization. The goal of visualization is to shift your thoughts 
away from everyday concerns to an imaginary world of your own choosing. It's big with like mindfulness. Uh, Close your eyes, breathe deeply, and imagine a calm scene. It could be a place you've actually been to or a place you'd like to visit. If your mind wanders, start again. Just go off to your little happy place. Experience the scene with your mind. If you choose a tropical scene, use your imagination to hear the waves brushing the shoreline and see the palm trees sway. Continue to explore for about 10 minutes. You'll begin to feel relief as stressful elements in your real environment are gradually replaced in your mind by tranquil sights on your imaginary horizon. Now go one step further and imagine yourself actually entering the scene you've created. Then there's repetition. Meditating on a word or phrase, also known as mantra. (laughs) Requires deep concentration. In a bit more time, at least 15 to 20 minutes, close your eyes and select a word or phrase you associate with relaxation. Breathe deeply and let your mantra echo through your mind. Try to think of nothing but your mantra and your breathing. If you get distracted, start again. Your goal is to continue until you feel your stress begin to slip away. Concentrate for as long as you can within the 15-minute time frame. When you reach your limit, take a deep breath and take a moment to reorient yourself to the outside world before rejoining it. While your experiences with meditation may take you in many different directions, keep in mind that the goal of meditation is learning how to refocus your attention. Whatever you focus on while you meditate, select only images, places, and interactions that bring you into an imaginary world of calm, a happy place, something you can enjoy. And that's it for today, and we'll get back to you with more MS goodies in the future. Hello, and welcome to another MS Health segment. Let's talk about some ways that may help you lose weight without dieting or exercising. Eating your food slowly can help you feel more full with fewer calories. It is an easy way to lose weight and prevent weight gain. Smaller plates can trick your brain into thinking you're eating more than you actually are. Therefore, it's smart to consume unhealthy foods from smaller plates, causing you to eat less. Adding protein to your diet has been linked to weight loss, even without exercise or conscious calorie restriction. Anything's a positive if you don't have to work out. (laughs) If you keep unhealthy foods on your counter, you are more likely to have an 
unplanned snack. This is linked to increased weight and obesity. It's better to keep healthy foods like fruits and vegetables in plain sight. Vicious fiber, vicious or vicious, V-I-S, viscous fiber, I think it's pronounced, is particularly helpful in reducing appetite and food intake. This fiber forms a gel that slows down suggest slows down digestion. <laughs> Basically, you want to use fiber-rich foods like beans, oat cereals, Brussels sprouts, asparagus, oranges, flax seeds. Uh, drinking water before meals may help you eat fewer calories. Replacing a sugary drink with water is particularly beneficial. Larger portion sizes have been linked to obesity and may encourage both children and adults to eat more food. People who eat while distracted are more likely to overeat. Paying attention to your meals may help you eat less and lose weight. Poor sleep and excess stress may imbalance several important appetite regulating hormones, causing you you to eat more. Sugary drinks have been linked to an increased risk of weight gain and many diseases. Your brain doesn't register liquid calories as it does solid foods, making you eat more. Red plates may help you eat fewer unhealthy snack foods. This may be because the color red triggers a stop reaction. Which I kind of I disagree with that because a lot of outside get-togethers, you see that red plate, that red plastic plate, the red cups. I don't know. Not sure about that. But many simple lifestyle habits can help you lose weight. Some have nothing to do with conventional diet or exercise plans. You can use smaller plates, eat more slowly, drink water, avoid eating in front of the TV or computer, prioritizing foods rich in protein and viscous fiber may also help. However, it's probably best not to try all these things at once, experiment with one technique for a while, and if that works well for you, then try another one. A few simple changes can have a massive impact on your weight over the long term. It's like I quit drinking soda years back when I was tipping the scales at over 550 and I lost 100 pounds just by doing that. And it just stayed off me. Didn't have to worry about kicking that back on, thankfully. Now if I could just get rid of a bunch of the rest. <laughs> How to lose weight fast. Three simple steps based on science, huh? Uh, let's see what they have to say. Reduced sugars and starches or carbs from your diet can help curb your appetite, lowering your insulin levels and make you, make you lose weight. But the long-term effects of a low-carb diet are not yet known. A reduced-calorie diet could be more sustainable. Uh, we got assemble each meal out of a protein source, healthy fat source, complex carb and vegetables. 
Leafy green vegetables are a great way to bulk up a meal with low calories and lots of nutrients. If you're going to break it down that way, it's like each meal should have the protein source, the fat source, vegetables, and a small portion of complex carbohydrates such as whole grains. Uh, proteins like beef, chicken, pork, and lamb, salmon, trout, and shrimp, whole eggs with the yolk, beans, legumes, quinoa, tempeh, and tofu. And vegetables include to include are ones like broccoli, cauliflower, spinach, tomatoes, kale, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, Swiss chard, chard, lettuce, cucumber. And your healthy fats, your olive oil, your avocado oil, stuff like that. They have so many different oils out there now. Resistance training, such as weightlifting, is a great option for losing weight. If that's not possible, cardio workouts are also effective. Choose what's sustainable for you, and you got to choose for your lifestyle because if you get into weightlifting and stuff and all of a sudden you quit, all that muscle mass is going to turn to fat fast. So watch out for that. If you're going to do it, stick with it. Counting calories isn't usually needed to lose weight on a low-carb eating plan, but if you're not losing weight or on a reduced-calorie eating plan, calorie counting may help. Some weight loss, some tips to help you lose weight faster. Eat a high-protein breakfast. Avoid sugary drinks and fruit juice. Drink water before meals. Choose weight loss-friendly foods. Sellable fiber, drink coffee or tea, base your diet on whole foods, eat slowly, get good quality sleep. Some, yeah. They got a variety of different food ideas, meal ideas, using quinoa, whole oats, whole wheat. Bran, rye, barley, breakfast ideas, poached egg with sliced avocado and a side of berries, or spinach, mushroom, and feta crustless quiche, or a green smoothie with spinach, avocado, and nut milk, and a side of cottage, cottage cheese, or some unsweetened Greek yogurt with berries and almonds. Lunch ideas, you got smoked salmon with avocado and a side of asparagus. Lettuce wrap with grilled chicken, black beans, red pepper, and salsa. Uh, Some kale and spinach. Salad with grilled tofu, chickpeas, and guacamole. Uh, BLT wrap with celery sticks and peanut butter. Dinner ideas are enchilada salad with chicken. Peppers, mango, avocado, and spices. Ground turkey bake with mushrooms, onions, peppers, and cheese. Or an anti-pasto salad with white beans, asparagus, cucumbers, olive oil, and parmesan. Or some roasted cauliflower with tempeh, Brussels sprouts, and pine nuts. Or salmon baked with ginger, sesame oil, and roasted zucchini. Zucchini, 
I could go for that tonight or <laughs> one of these nights. Uh, snack ideas, some cauliflower hummus and veggies, which I haven't tried to cauliflower hummus. Yes, I do have a recipe that I was going to check out. Healthy homemade trail mix with nuts and dried fruit, some kale chips, cottage cheese with cinnamon and flax seeds. Actually, that don't sound bad. Whereas with the wife putting the pineapple with the cottage cheese, it just grosses me out. Spicy roasted chickpeas, which I got a bunch of chickpeas covered. I got to roast some more up. Roasted pumpkin seeds, some tuna pouches, steamed edamame, or some strawberries and brie. Yeah, just some different ideas to help with weight loss. Check those out. We'll get back here with more stuff in the future. Time for another MS health segment. Let's talk about some supplements that might help you concentrate a little bit better, help you a little bit with your cog fog. It's like ginseng. Its benefits are it's a treatment for stress, improves brain function, and it's got antioxidant support. You can try it in your in its natural form and consume it as a root, which you can eat raw like a carrot or lightly steamed to soften it. The recommended amount is two one centimeter thick slices. Can also be added to homemade soups or teas for an earthy taste. Supplement form ginseng can be found in powder, tablet, capsule, and oil form. It's best to start with 200 to 400 milligrams of the extract and gradually increase from there as you tell how it's working on your body. Possible side effects for the most part, ginseng is safe to consume. However, Headaches, dizziness, anxiety, insomnia, nervousness, nausea, diarrhea, agitation, dry mouth, and rapid rapid heart rate are always possible side effects of taking nootropics, especially if they're taken incorrectly. And tea form could cause probably some of those issues. Um, MCT is the thing we've been talking about. Basically, medium-chain triglycerides or fatty acids have been widely studied for their brain health properties, especially in people with Alzheimer's. For We talk about the MCT oil and stuff. Um, taking MCTs can provide energy to dying brain, brain cells. It's basically... It, its benefits are its general brain health, brain energy, anti-stress, and antioxidants. You can take it in its natural form if you want a natural version of MCT or coconut oil. The recommended dose in most studies has been two tablespoons or 30 milliliters. Supplement form, you can brew up a pot of coffee, bulletproof style, by adding MCT coconut oil, which is a rich source of MCTs. Dave Asprey, founder of C- and CEO of Bulletproof, recommends 
starting with 8 to 12 ounces of coffee and 2 tablespoons of an MCT source. This will provide longer lasting energy rather than a drink that simply helps you wake up. Uh, possible side effects in one study found that some people will experience adverse reactions such as diarrhea, dyspepsia, and flatulence. So if you if you begin taking it and ha- you have those effects, stop taking them. So, uh, Lithiumine benefits are feeling of calm, increased creativity. You can try it in its natural form. Theanine can be found in green, black, and white teas, with green tea containing the most of theanine, usually with 25 to 60 milligrams. It's green tea's beneficial period. Uh, supplement form, the average recommended dose of theanine is a 200 milligram dose taken twice a day in either pill or powder form. It's a, Possible side effects, uh, something called polyphenol, EGCG, which is found in green tea, can actually reduce the efficacy of some chemotherapy drugs. So check with your healthcare provider if you're dealing with any of those. Rhodiola rosé benefits are alleviating brain fatigue and beat stress. You can try it in its natural form. Rhodiola is available in tea form. However, uh, it's not typically recommended because it makes accurate dosing tricky. In supplement form, Rhodiola supplements are available as tinctures, pills, extracts, and powders, which are believed to be equally all effective. Uh, take those, look those up and see what you can find. Side effects, it's generally safe and well tolerated, but look for a, for a third party cert- certification to make sure the product you're purchasing has optimal effectiveness and safety. Um, you got maca which has benefits of increased mental energy, better focus, improved overall memory, and feeling calm. You can get it in its natural form. Maca root can be cooked the way you'd cook a potato or added to soup or tea, while maca is categorized as a cruciferous vegetable. It's almost never consumed the way you'd consume broccoli or cabbage. Instead, the root is dried and then ground into powder, which people add to their food. Supplement form maca is popular in both capsule supplements and powders, typically in doses between 1.5 and 3 grams. If you opt for powder, add it to your oatmeal or smoothies for a caramely taste. Yeah, cool. I have to try that with my homemade oats. Possible side effects, maca is generally safe for people and it may take some experimenting to feel an effect. Talk to your doctor doctor about trying any of those supplements. Yeah, it's 
So there's some, well, bulletproofs. Eh, you can look into bulletproof coffee and stuff like that. BLXR Brain Fuel. It can fight brain fog, general memory, and focus support. Uh, you can look into that if it interests you. There's Nutin, N-E-U-T-E-I-N, improves working memory, sustained focus, overall cognitive support. Uh, you can take two pills each morning with water for at least 45 days and tracking the mental benefits to see the daily effects. That's something I might... Some of these things are things I've never looked into. I am going to have to check out tomorrow and personally use them and see and let you know if I get any benefits from them and you can also try them yourself if you'd like that's it and we'll get back to you with more stuff in the future just keep that monster at bay MS and health today, let's get into the JC virus. We all hear a lot of us with MS hear about it when we're getting put on certain medications and stuff like that. Let's get to learn a little bit more about it. Basically, what is it? Uh, the John Cutting, the John Cunningham virus. Richie, is that Richie's brother? Uh Known more commonly as the JC virus, is a very common virus in the United States. What the hell? What the hell do we do? According to the World Journal of Neurosciences, between 70 and 90% of people in the world have the virus. The average person carrying the JC virus will never know and is unlikely to experience any side effects. However, that's not the case for, for a small percentage of individuals with multiple sclerosis. The JC virus can be activated when a person's immune system is compromised because of disease or immunosuppressive medication. The virus can be carried into the brain. It affects the white matter of the brain and attacks the cells respons responsible for making myelin. That's what we need. More myelin attacks. The protective coating that covers and protects the nerve cells. The infection is called progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, PML. PML can be disabling and even fatal. Like, I don't know. We all get tested. I tested positive for the JC virus. I believe back, way back in the Copaxone days. But like it says, it's not necessarily active. So the JC virus often attacks when a person's immune system is at its weakest, which kind of scares me now thinking about it because now we're going on a having cloud in my immune system getting more suppressed than it was on other drugs I was on. Let's see what happens. A weakened immune 
immune system can no longer fight off invading viruses, it's the perfect opportunity for the JC virus to awaken, cross the blood-brain barrier, and begin attacking the brain. People with MS are at an increased risk risk of PML because their immune system is often compromised as a result of the condition. Further compounding the problem, several medications used to treat symptoms of MS can also compromise the immune system. Immunosuppressant medications can increase the likelihood that a person with MS will develop PML after exposure to the to the CJC virus. These me- these immunosuppressant medications may include azathioprine, which is azazan or imuron, cyclophosphamide, dimethylfumarate, which is tecfidera, methotrexate, mito mitoxanthrone, which is nuventron, misophenolate, mafetal, which is celsept, and corticosteroids, which you might be put on for flare-ups and relapses. Uh, the JC virus detect detecting tests can determine if a person has been exposed to the virus and if it's present in their body. A positive test like mine doesn't mean a person with MS will develop PML, but only JCV positive individuals can develop PML. Knowing that your JCV positive alerts your doctor to watch for PML, which if you get the brain bug, brain burst, brain blood thing, PML, it's not like it's going to matter, but they'll be like, oh, shit, must activate it. <laughs> Even with the negative result, you're not 100% safe. You can be infected with the JC virus at any point during your treatment. You begin taking medications as part of your treatment for MS. It's important that you continue regular testing to see if you've been infected. Talk with your doctor about how often you should be tested for JC virus antibodies. If you become infected, regular testing will help you detect the infection faster. The sooner it's detected, the sooner you can begin treatment. Then you can discuss, talk with your doctor about risks for developing PML and how the medications you're taking affect that risk. And they may want to conduct an Alyssa test out of an abundance of caution, especially if they plan to prescribe natalizumab, which is sabri, or dimethylfumarate. So I know that was a big thing when I was considering to sabri, but natalizumab is often prescribed to people who haven't responded well to other forms of MS treatment. So that. You might not be put on that unless you have problems with other ones. Uh, If your doctor recommends you begin treatment with natalizumab, talk to them about having the Elisa blood, E-L-I-S-A blood test first, which usually they will have all that looked over and make sure whether or not you have the PML or not. But yeah, you should get it 
the illicit blood test periodically while taking dimethyl fumarate also. But your doctor should know that, so just talk it all over with them. See what can be done and if you need to have anything done for that. But that's it for today. And we will get back to you with more goodies in the future.